All right. Uh, here we go. We're going to read uh, Philippians chapter 4, this section. I said this last week as we kicked off this series that the most highlighted book on Kindle is the Bible. You think of all the books that are on Kindle, the most highlighted book, Kindle, is the Bible. You want to know what the most highlighted section of the most highlighted book is? This is it right here. This is the most highlighted section, the most highlighted book, Philippians chapter 4. All right, here we go. This is what it says. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. We covered that last week. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, this is the cool part, which transcends all understanding. It transcends it. So it's transcendent. This peace that if we follow this plan, this routine, this strategy here, the peace of God, which is beyond us, will be a part of us, which transcends all understanding, is going to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Quick aside, Paul is in a Roman prison right now, and he is chained to a guard who stands over him all the time. So as he writes this about the peace of God standing guard of us, he's looking at a soldier, a Roman soldier, who's guarding him so that nobody will will take him away and he'll escape, right? And so what he's saying here is if we follow this, if we rejoice in the other things that we're going to talk about that he unpacks here, that peace, which would be such a wonderful thing, peace will guard us, will guard our hearts and guard our minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Last week we said it's important to celebrate. It says rejoice in the Lord, or, Lord always. And again, I'm going to say it, rejoice. We're using the word calm. Since in America we're swimming in stress, we're going to say we need to calm down. So C-A-L-M, we covered the C last week and that was what? Does anybody remember? It's probably on the screen behind me. Celebrate. Did anybody celebrate something last week? All right, we had a couple people celebrate. Good. We need more celebration. I'll tell you why. Because we're swimming in stress, and it is true that people who have an attitude of gratitude, people who are thankful, people who are gracious and grateful, they have lower stress levels. They have lower anxiety levels. And we in America are swimming in stress, and we in Washington, D.C., in this great, incredible city with all of its opportunities, actually is the deep end of the stress pool. So we do need to be thankful and to be grateful. It is proven to lower your stress stress levels. I'm going to emphasize routine. In every single week of this series, routine, 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 routine. We need to have a routine. He's given us a routine. Well, the four things that we'll talk about in the four weeks of this series is a routine that we're in. Routine helps us. Now, you probably already know this, so let me just emphasize what you already know. If you're struggling with anxiety or you know somebody who's struggling with anxiety or stress, being in a routine actually lowers the stress level, right? So, if you're anxious, wake up at the same time every day. Make it a routine. Wake up at the same time every day. It, help, it helps. Eat a big breakfast. It'll lower your anxiety. I don't care if you're hungry or not. It doesn't matter. Eat a big breakfast. It'll lower your anxiety levels. When I started playing basketball as a little kid, what did the coach tell me? When I go to shoot the free throw, always do the same routine. You see the people, you see the guys in the NBA who get paid millions of dollars? You see them go through the same routine every time? Do you know why? Because somebody taught them in elementary school that if you want to lower your stress and anxiety, when you step to the free throw line, figure out a routine a long time ago and always, always, always repeat it. So I went through the same routine. 
If, so, if, you're, if you have to speak in front of people, practice, 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 right? You putt. The guys, the golfers, right? Putting. What, they go through the same routine every day. Hit the putt a million times. Same routine. Why? Lowers your stress levels. Your kids, our teenagers, have stress and anxiety that is off the charts. Off the charts. Routine. Routine, routine. Your kids are happier. Children are happier. Teenagers are happier living in routine. Now, we'll bucket and we say we don't want it, but that is what actually lowers our stress. Your dogs, your dogs. If you have a dog, you love your dog. I have a dog. I don't love my dog, but my kids love the dog. I have a dog. Your dog, your dog is happier and healthier if you give that dog a routine. Eat the same time, walk the same time. Routine, routine, routine. Last week we said this, the famous saying, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, right? Reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. You want to change your life in terms particularly of stress, have a routine and stick with it. And this is what we want to talk about this morning. Now, I ended last week, right? We talked about we want to, we want to routinely give thanks. I ended last week with a story. It's a story, very end, a story about a dentist. Does anybody remember the story about the dentist at the end? I got a bunch of emails from people saying, yeah, I went to the dentist this week too. And this story. So yesterday, Krista and I were in Pennsylvania and uh, we were traveling back uh, to this area and she had a piece of big, fluffy, gluten-free, I'm not gluten-free, but she had, it was gluten-free for some reason she wanted me to know that. Uh, and I, it was like Amish bread or something, like made fresh. It was like, you know, beautiful bread, soft. She gave me this piece because we didn't want to stop. We were, she'd eat this. I said, okay. So I'm eating, I'm on the last bite of this beautiful bread. It was great. And I bit down, there was something hard. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is this? And so I fished it out of my mouth and it was this little hard piece of something. I'm like, I started cleaning off. Oh my gosh, this looks like a tooth. (laughs) This looks like a, what is this? This is a piece. She said, give me that thing. I handed it to her. She says, it does look like, I said, give me that back. I grabbed it back. I said, my goodness, this does look like, I said, wait a minute. It's my tooth. My tooth that the dentist worked on has broken. There's a, right now, as I speak to you, there's a small piece of my tooth all the way in the back that is broken. But you know what? I celebrated. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for modern dentistry that I can go somewhere tomorrow and have this taken care of. And I'm not actually in any pain whatsoever. Isn't it great? Because if we lived 200 years ago, we would walk in, somebody would give us a drink of alcohol or we'd punch us in the face and grab a pair of pliers and yank teeth out, right? Thank you that I don't live 200 years ago. I said, there's always something to celebrate and we need to celebrate something. Last thing, I've been rereading recently Victor Frankl's book, famous book, right? I'm sure you've heard of it, The Meaning of Life. And here's a doctor who went through the concentration camps and he has a line in this book that is, is, is fascinating, right? You think about somebody who's seen the worst of the worst of the worst and he said, humankind's greatest defense against the problems of life is laughter and joy and gratefulness and gratitude. He says, even in the concentration camp, camps when things were the worst, the only way we survived was we had to laugh. Celebrate something, please, this week. It'll defend you against the problems of life that will surely come. There's the C. Here we go. Let's do A. Paul says, C, celebrate something. A, ask about everything. Everything? Absolutely everything. I want to do the ABCs of prayer. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Pray about everything. So I'm going to do the ABCs real quick. This is not exhaustive. There's some, some thoughts that I have here about praying. First of all, he says about everything. Everything, John? Yes. Everything, Paul? Yes. Everything. World peace, parking spaces. 
world peace, parking spaces, put it all in there because people who pray about everything tend to be less stressed. They have less anxiety. So I'm encouraging you. Paul is imploring you to pray about absolutely everything. Be anxious for nothing. Pray about everything. Everything. Here's the B. Here's the B in it. Be specific. Now, you can pray big general prayers. Nothing wrong with that, and you should. Jesus says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right? Th- th- thy will be done, right? Jesus tells us to pray. That, that is awesome. He gets a little more specific later in, in, in this great Lord's Prayer that we call it. But you can be general and you can be specific. I'm just saying that every now and then it's okay to be specific. A specific prayer is a serious prayer. A specific prayer is a serious prayer, and every now and then you can do that. Genesis chapter 24, famous guy in the Bible, his name is Abraham. He sends his trusted servant, Eleazar. Eleazar is like his CEO, like Abraham's the owner, and, and Eleazar is the CEO of this massive company, Abraham Inc., that he's running. And he says to Eleazar, I need you to go back to my hometown, and I need you to find a wife for my son, Isaac. It's a big deal. It's a big responsibility. So Eleazar takes off, and he's got this whole bunch of camels with him, and he's taking all this stuff. He's going back there right before he gets, like he's just pulling into the hometown. He stops and he prays. And here's where it gets interesting because he gets extremely specific. And what does he say? He says, God, please, on behalf of my master Abraham, I am begging for your help. Here's what I need. One, here's what it's I need the bride that you're choosing for Isaac. I need her to be in the group of young women who are coming out this evening to the well to get water. It was women would go to the well, young women, young women specifically go to the well and that culture at that time and get water in the evening. I need her to be in that group. One, two. I'm going to ask, would somebody give me a drink? Would somebody give me a drink? And, and the one that you're choosing, she's going to say, yes, I'll get you a drink. Okay, two. Three, now he's pushing his luck. Big time. He says, then she's going to volunteer. Without me asking, she's going to volunteer. I will water all your... You know how much a camel drinks of water? It's like gallons and gallons and gallons and gallons. It's like a wet vac. Just right out. And he has a bunch of camels. And you know how hard it is. Right? She's not like pumping something and water's gushing out. She's pulling it up. So this is a big, big deal. It'll take a lot of time. Probably take at least an hour to do it. So it's a big deal. He says, the one that you're choosing, let her say to me, I'll water all your camels. Specific prayer. A specific prayer is a serious prayer. When I was in Bible college, we used to have a speaker. He's pretty famous. He, he, he was a teacher. He's a sociologist at Eastern University where he taught. But he was a great speaker, so he would travel all over the country, probably all around the world, and he would speak. And he would come to our college, which was only like 45 minutes away, and he'd speak every now and then. And he told this story before I got there, but I did a little checking just to make sure that this was true. So he was at our college, and because he was so popular back then, a bunch of the students gathered around him to pray. I wanted to pray, God bless his ministry. He's making all kinds of inroads with people. Bless him, bless. So they all got around him, right? Here he's Tony. His name is Tony Campolo. They all get around him. Everybody's hands on in place praying for Tony Campolo. He said, but there's a one guy on the outside really loud in his prayers, and he's praying, but he's not praying for Tony. Not praying for Tony at all. He's praying for his buddy Joe. Joe, who was a student at the Bible college that we all went to, right? He's praying for Joe because Joe's really discouraged. And Joe is getting ready to leave Bible college. He's getting ready to leave his wife, getting ready to leave his family. And so he says, everybody's praying for Tony, right? Everybody, the whole group of 10 guys are praying for Tony. This one guy at top of his lungs praying for Joe. Joe, 
Bless Joe. God, you know about Joe. Joe's married to Mary, and they got a boy named Tommy, and they live in a trailer. And here's the address. God gives God the address just in case, right? And the color of the trailer is green. He's thinking about leaving. He's so discouraged, God. Bring him back. And after he did it one time, he prayed it again. Prayed the whole thing again. Joe and Mary and Tommy in the trailer, and here's the address over and over and over again. So finally, Campoli is like, listen, what in the world? So he memorizes all of this after the fifth or sixth time through. It's so odd. He's not listening to anybody pray for him anymore. All he's listening to is the buddy who's praying for Joe. So he gets in his car to travel back to Eastern University, 45 minutes away. He's traveling down the road, and there's a hitchhiker. Now, you all don't know what hitchhikers are, not unless you're older, but because we don't have them. We have Uber now. We don't have hitchhikers. <laughs> But there was a time in this country we had it. Does anybody know about hitchhikers? Anybody in the room remember? This was a thing. This was a big thing when I was a little kid driving down the road, right? All over the place. And so here, Campoli's driving down. There's a hitchhiker. He doesn't pick up hitchhikers. He doesn't do that. But for some reason, pick up the hitchhiker. He felt compelled. Picked up, pulls over. Guy gets in the car and says, hey, I'm Tony. What's your name? My name's Joe. Joe, are you married to Mary? You have a son named Tommy? Is this your address? You live in a green trailer? God has sent me to take you home. Well, specific prayer is a serious prayer. And every now and then we can pray specific. That's okay. And do that, right? Be specific. Last thing is this. Cite the chapter and the verse. Every now and then, I tell you what I love to do. Every now and then, I open up the Bible and I look at the promises or I look at the prayers. I look what, what is in the Bible and what God is saying and I'll just pray it. It's so good. I'll say, God, here's what, here's what your word says. I'm praying in agreement with exactly what your words. Isaiah says this. He says this, right? He says, put the Lord in remembrance of his promises. Now, that's what the Bible says. So I figure, okay, let's do it. And there's lots of verses to do. I'll, just, I'll give you one. I listed it here for you, right? It's uh, on the screen. It's on the back of your bulletin. This is, this is what it says, Isaiah 43. It says, don't be afraid. Okay, yeah, I'm afraid sometimes. God says, I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. Okay, God, you know me by name. It's not like you don't know me. You know me by name. You're mine, God says. You know what that means? It says God is taking responsibility for me. Okay, God, you're responsible for what's happening here. And we got some tough stuff going on here. I need your help. When you're in over your head, yep, that's me. I find myself in over my head. I say, God, I'm over my head sometimes. I need you to come alongside of me. I'll be there for you. When you're in rough waters, you won't go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, when you're in a tough spot and you feel like it, it's a dead end, don't you feel that way sometimes? Like, where am I going with my life? I just take the Bible out and I start praying. I cite the chapter and verse and I remind God, God, this is what you said. So please, Help me out here. Let's get going. Turn this dead end to, you know, something awesome in my life because I need your help. Now, for those of you, many of you do this. You follow me on that texting. So I send out these texts, and some of you, some of you get that. And that's really important to me, actually. And I, what, what God has impressed upon me in my own life as I send those texts out is I pray. I really do pray about the things I'm sending out. Sometimes I'll send a prayer. Like I've sent out a numerous times Proverbs. The wise see trouble coming and step out of its way, and I'm hoping and praying. We'll hear lots of stories at the end of this year. Bobby said, you know what? Years ago, I wouldn't have seen that coming, but for some reason this year, I saw it coming, and I stepped out of the way. Thank you, Lord. Wouldn't it be good to sidestep trouble? Wouldn't you wish you could go back in the past, and there's certain things that you could have stepped out of the way? I do. I do. I wish I could have seen it coming. And I pray for that. Here's one that God has really put on my heart recently. It's said twice in the book of Deuteronomy. 
right? Deuteronomy chapter 8 and Deuteronomy chapter 29. It says when the Israelites were in the desert, you know, wandering the desert for 40 years, that their sandals and their clothes did not wear out. And here's what's, I'm getting ready to send a text out probably this week for this, for everybody that's on that, follow me on text, that your tires wouldn't wear out, that your air conditioning wouldn't go kaput, that the roof on your house or the shoes on your feet or anything you have, big and small, that God would bless it and it would not wear out. Because isn't it a major bummer when you take your car in and they present you with a big bill like they did to me this past week, right? And I just want to pray for that. So I want to encourage you. The Bible has some awesome promises and prayers. Cite the chapter and the verse in your own time of prayer. So, so, so that's it. Ask about everything. Lowers your stress level. That's the A. Here's the L. Leave, leave, leave something behind. Paul says, present your request to God. So you have a request. You have an issue. You have a problem. He's saying present it. In other words, boom, there it is, God. Now I'm leaving it. He doesn't say, here it is, God. You see it? Good. I'm taking it back. We're going. I'm going to keep it. You have to leave things behind. You have to leave it with God. First uh, Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares. You have to cast it. You have to give it. Part of the thing is this. A lot of people say, you know what? Something's got to change. I'm so stressed out. I'm so anxious. I got so much going. It's got to, got to, it's got to change. She said, okay, well, you, know, you could change this, this, this. You know, everybody really likes the idea of change until something changes. Do, do you know what I'm saying? It's like, yes, I'm all for change. And you change something. I hate it. Don't change. I want to prepare you to leave something behind means you actually have to pick up some new habits that are healthy, and it means you have to cut some stuff off and leave stuff behind. Isaiah says it this way, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I'm going to do a new thing. I want to establish new routines and new habits in your life that are healthier and more peaceful and less stressful in your life. But you're going to have to be willing to do it. You just can't talk about it, hear about it, read the statistics about it, see what God's word says about it, and walk away, and it's going to be okay. You actually have to institute it in your life. See, it says, it's going to spring up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness, and I'm making streams in the wasteland. And the point of all this is, is God wants to do something new in all of our lives. But we're going to have to, have to, have to leave something behind. So I want to give you three things, all right, everybody? And the first is our schedules our schedules, we're inflicting massive stress on our own lives. Like much of our stress is self-inflicted. We don't have to do everything. Believe me, you know, for somebody who's had a jam-packed schedule and for somebody who's had two kids who are very athletic, my kids were on three sports teams at the same time, six teams all at once, right? The, the, the chances of your child, I love your children, okay? But the chances of your children playing for a Division I team somewhere is really small. I'm sorry. I know you think they're phenomenal, right? Just like I thought my kid was phenomenal. Same thing. But the chance of them playing Division I sports is so minuscule, so minuscule. And the chances of them going to the next level, professional after that, is so minuscule. So I'm just saying you might want to just tone it down just a little bit, right, if you have kids, right? And you don't have to do everything, and you don't have to have everything, 
You know what's amazing, everybody? Here, here's, here's something that's just wild. I, I took my first trip overseas. I went to Haiti. I went to Port-au-Prince, Haiti when I was five years old. Uh, I, I had really white hair. My wife says I was towhead. That always sounds kind of insulting to me, towhead. Toe, what is it? It doesn't sound good, but that's what she said I was. So I had really white hair, and I'm there in Port-au-Prince, and all the kids would come up, and they would pinch me. They all pinched me because they didn't think I was real. They thought I was a ghost or something like that because it's so, it's so white. I remember it, and there's pictures of me carrying little cinder blocks. We were building a community center in the middle of Port-au-Prince. And so I've built houses and schools and community centers. I've done that my entire life, starting when I was really, really, really young. So I've been exposed to it. And you go to a country that has so little, and you're like, oh my gosh, you don't don't know where your next meal's coming from. You don't know where your next clean drinking, glass of drinking water's coming from. You've never been to the doctor in your life. You've never been to a dentist in your life. How can you live like this? Your life must be terrible, filled with worry and stress. And you know what's always amazing? Because I always go with usually a group of Americans, and we'll say that, we'll say that, and we'll come back and we'll say, you know what, did you notice that they were so peaceful? Did you notice these wonderful people seem to be at such peace and we're so anxious here? And you know what's amazing? When people come to the United States of America, we lead the world in anxiety. We lead the world in anxiety. When people from a third world country come to the United States of America, their stress level, anxiety level spikes. It doesn't go down. The land of options and opportunities. So there's so much to do and there's so much you can put in your schedule, but we're inflicting stress on ourselves. We're inflicting anxiety on ourselves and it's eating away at our relationships and our health at our health. It's really, really bad. So consider making a stop, do it list. Like you have a to-do list, make one, the stuff you're going to stop doing. One of the things I like to do recently is I just put my calendar, my calendar's on my phone, pull my phone out. I see all the meetings I have coming up and I just say, Hey God, um, I have a meeting. It's really important. Or I have a meeting. It's going to be really tense. I have a meeting where there's, there's been some miscommunication, or I have a meeting with some people and they have a broken relation. I have this time. Could you please? And I'll just go through all my meetings for the week or for the day or whatever. Please help me. In addition to that, I say, God, what do I need to cut out of this schedule? Help me to be wiser with my schedule because I'm inflicting tremendous stress on myself. So the single greatest determining factor in a quality life and having a happy and healthy life, the single greatest determining factor, everybody, is the quality of your relationships. And I'm telling you now, I've seen it for 30 years of ministry. Stress is the great separator in relationships. You put a relationship under stress for too long, it is going to break it. It is going to break it. Some of you already know this, but you try to, I sit down with couples getting ready to get married. I said, look, you can live by two books in your life. One is the Bible because it's just so incredibly practical. And the other is your calendar because there's couples who haven't been on date in a decade that are married. Because we overcommit ourselves too much. And I, that's me. I did that. I've already made the mistake for you. I'm here to tell you about it. And I'm saying it's not the way to go. It's frustrating and it breaks relationships, which means you're undermining your own life. When Chris and I were first married, so I was, I was, I was, in Bible, I was a sophomore in Bible college. I know. It's, it's very young, and I hope my kids never do it. Um, we did. Krista just put so much pressure on me, just physically, romantically, constantly... <laughs> after me and I have certain high moral standards and I just wouldn't get in. So I just got married. And, uh, I'll pay dearly for this later, but, uh, I say these things to keep you engaged. You know what I'm saying? Cause I love you. Cause I love you. 
Anyway, we got married at sophomore college. I played on the basketball team, which was a thing in college. It was kind of thing. It was, it was, a, it was a thing at, at least the college I went to. So I, I had, I have a heavy, heavy commitment. I was a full-time student, full-time playing on the basketball team. And I worked at a church on a weekend that was an hour and a half away from the college. And so when we did not have a game on Saturday, we never had games on Sunday. When we did not have a game on, um, on a Saturday, we would get up at the crack of dawn. So we worked seven days a week. We get up at the crack because it was schoolwork, it was practice, it was games, it was just nonstop. Get up at the crack of dawn, we drive down to Aberdeen, Maryland. Aberdeen, Maryland. And we would work all day with the youth of that church until late at night. And we would get up very early on Sunday morning and we would go and we would teach Sunday school together. And the preacher would preach for an hour and a half. We would teach children's church together for like a three-hour church service. We would go and collapse somewhere on somebody's couch for just a few minutes or even the car, wherever we could find. We would eat something and we would go back because we had Sunday night church in which the pastor would unload everything that he didn't say Sunday morning for at least at minimum an hour and a half. Can you say thank you, Jesus, for 30-minute messages? Okay. Right? And we would leave to go back to the college at about 11 o'clock. We'd get back 12, 30, 1 o'clock in the morning. It was absolutely insane. When we first started, we first started there, they put us up in the, in the parsonage, in the attic of the parsonage, like on the fourth floor with no air conditioning. In the summertime, I'm telling you, it's 110 degrees. And after they gave us like five fans, I don't care how many fans you put up there, it's just not helping. It's not helping. After we both lost like 50 pounds, they said, you know, we're going to break down and we're going to get you a motel room. I'm like, yes. So they got us a $25 a night motel room across from a major military base. Now you tell me what you think's going on (laughs) all night long in a $25 night motel room across from a huge military base. The cops were there at 11. They were there at one. They were there at three. We had the bed with the magic finger thing and the big shag carpet, right? It was terrible. It was terrible. We didn't sleep. We didn't sleep at all. And we would get up early that morning. We'd have breakfast at McDonald's because that's all they had in this little town we were in, right? So we'd go to McDonald's and get pancakes or egg McMuffin or whatever you get. And we're just under so much stress. And I'll never forget the day that like I ordered milk and Krista ordered orange juice and she was drinking orange juice and she spilled it. And it's so weird. You know, when, when, when we were, I had a great car when I was young and I had no money, right? I had a great car. It was brand new. Now I drive a car. It's 20 years old. It's ridiculous, right? So I had this great car and I was very, I was, I wanted the car clean. I didn't want any, you know, and so orange juice, the entire thing, whoosh, over everything. And I thought, I, I thought I was going to pass out. It made me so upset. I can't believe it. But I bit my tongue because, you know, it's not stupid. So I just... <laughs> And she said, let me have your milk. So, you know, we're, there's a sea of orange juice in the floorboard of the car, right? Here's the milk. So he takes the milk, and she accidentally drops milk. How, how is this possible? But so much stress, everybody, inflicted by ourselves. I rolled the windows down, and I just grabbed all the food and all the drink, and I started throwing it out of the window. <laughs> Here comes the youth pastor to church. He's so angry. He's just throwing stuff out of the car. You never do that on your way to church, I know, but uh, we inflict it on ourselves. So I'm asking you to take a strong look at your schedule. Can you leave something behind? Because you need to leave. You need to have a stop. I won't stop. No. Okay, social media. Now we're going to really get personal. 
for a second, okay? Social media. We all have seen that um, we can't sleep and we're suffering from anxiety, and no, insomnia and anxiety, right? And the screens, there's something, the screens that overstimulate ourselves. And then also all the pressure from the social media that we're reading about people and they've had the greatest date ever. They, and we're like, why can't I have the greatest date ever? They just had the greatest dinner. Oh my gosh, look at that dinner. Look at that dessert. It's awesome. They just went on the greatest vacation. They've got the greatest dog. Why can't I have a great dog? like that, right? They just took a great walk and they saw this great sunset. Why can't I have a sunset like that, right? You know, so it puts a lot, it puts a lot of pressure. I know that Pinterest, right? Pinterest, I don't think Pinterest, I'm not big into social media, but I don't think it's as popular as it was, but a number of years ago, I read this definition on Pinterest I thought was great. Pinterest, ready? Here's an alternative definition, is a visually driven social media platform strategically designed for nonstop 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week reminders that your kids are dressed like garbage. Your home is decorated terribly. The pictures you take are bland and artless. You did an awful job planning your wedding. You live a generally tedious, monotonous existence unlike everyone else whose lives are categorically awesome at all times, right? So, so social media, we look at these things and it does it. So how about the phones? Here's, I'm going to ask you some questions about phones use. Okay. For, and here's the thing. I don't want you to raise your hand. It's always embarrassing. I feel like, cause sometimes they go, Oh, is he asking me to raise my hand? And it's awkward. I don't want you to embarrass yourself. Don't do that. But I do want you to be engaged. So what I'd like you to do is if you know somebody who you would say, yes, they're this way, raise your hand, right? Just raise it. Uh, cause that won't embarrass you. That won't embarrass you, and that's all we care about is you not being embarrassed. And, and by chance, here's a greater thing. If somebody is in this room and you know they're that way, just raise your hand. If they're, like, sitting over here, just, like, point. <laughs> right over there. Okay? So uh, six questions. Can I give you six questions real quick? Here we go. Do you know somebody who sleeps with their cell phone? Do you know somebody who is, like, in the bed with them? It's on the night. Thank you for that hand over there. Thank you. For, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. There could, there could be an addiction problem to the cell phone. There could be. Okay. Second question. Do you know somebody whose family and friends complain that they're on the, that they're on the phone all the time? Do you know anybody? Thank you for the hand. Do you know anybody whose family and friends like complaining? Oh, pointing. Thank you. Thank you. Pointing. It's nice. Okay. Do you know anybody who the first thing they check in the morning, the last thing they check at night is their cell phone? Do you know anybody first thing in the morning, last thing at night? First thing. Thank point. Thank you. Thank you. Good. Don't embarrass yourself. It's okay. Right. Okay, here we go. Check this one out. You ready for this? You ready? Listen closely. Do you know somebody who feels bummed or frustrated or even angry if they forget to take their phone with them into the bathroom? Do you, do you, know, do you know anybody who gets frustrated if they forget to take it into the... Thank you for the point. Thank you. Thank you very much. Do you know somebody who's mastered the art of secretly texting while maintaining eye contact? <laughs> Do you know, is anybody? Thank you up there. Thank you. Thank you. Do you know somebody who, even when they're in important business meetings, right, or even on a romantic dinner, or even in church service while a sermon is being preached, will check their phone? Do you know anybody like that? Anybody? Oh, not many people know somebody like that. Oh, man, that encourages me a whole lot. So p consider leaving behind some of the social media and some of the cell phone because it's causing us stress and definitely leave behind some of the schedule. I want to say one last thing because it's actually important, sin. 
And I know that word, everybody, I understand that word carries tremendous baggage. It's, very, it's a very difficult word for us. Because particularly for some of us in this room, somebody has come along in a real self-righteous kind of judgmental way and talked about sin, and that just really puts us off. And it's bad. And I'm very sorry about that. I've seen it done. It's, 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 I haven't appreciated it very much. It's wrong. Jesus would not do that. Jesus did not do that, right? That's not what the Bible or Jesus um, is about. But here's what sin is about, if we can just define it. It will help us a little bit because we'll see where it brings stress into our lives, a lot of stress, is that what sin is is selfishness. And selfishness always breaks relationships. So when the Bible says our sins have separated us from God, what it's saying is, our selfishness, our self-centeredness breaks every relationship, including our relationship with God. And that's what it does. That's what all sin is. And how many of us in this room, even though we might say, yeah, I don't like it when preachers talk about sin or some church person or some Christian talks about sin, how many of us hate, 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 hate sin? How many of us have been hurt desperately because somebody's been sinful, somebody's been selfish? How many of us were, were like, we're just trying to recover because of somebody's selfish behavior? You know, we read about what's happened with the church up in uh, Pennsylvania, right? And we read about the abuse of kids because of selfishness. And we also read about other things, and we hear about them all the time in our own lives or in counseling or whatever or on the media. And we're like, oh, my gosh, how would the world be so glorious if somebody had decided not to be selfish and do this thing, which was so terrible. So even though we're very like, I don't want to talk about sin, all of us in this room, 100%, there's no doubt about it, together say, yes, I wish people would stop being selfish because they have inflicted wounds on my life, tragedies upon my life that are terrible. So we do have to deal with sin. We do have to talk about it, and it is selfishness. Now, here's the thing. Brene Brown, who's like become the expert in shame, she writes a lot about shame, and it's cool because she doesn't come at us from a church perspective or a Bible perspective. She's a TED Talk when TED Talks were so popular. She's like a TED Talk rock star. She's like the rock star. She's about shame. And even though we've been told in this country, do whatever you want, she's come along with her research in the last five years and said, Americans are swimming in shame. Even though we're told, do anything you want. Don't feel shame about it. Don't feel any bad. Don't feel embarrassed. Don't feel shame. Do it. Don't put your morals on me. Do your own thing. That stuff works itself out in a certain way. And according to her research, it's left us with a mountain of shame. And all that shame leads to stress and anxiety. And we are, as Americans, swimming in anxiety. So here's what the Bible says. Psalm 32. When I refused to confess my sin... My body wasted away and I groaned all day long. And Brene Brown, like the American leading expert in this whole shame thing, says the only way to break the shame is to confess it. And you know this to be true. When you have a broken relationship with somebody, the only way that that relationship gets reconciled, the only way, it never happens any other way, is for you to say, yep, I did this. You name the thing that you did. You confess it just like the psalmist says, just like Brown says. And that relationship gets reconciled. And we will never be happy. We'll never be at peace. We'll never find the anxiety level lowering because we all, all of us, want a closer relationship with God. The number one reason that people go to church in America, whether they're a church person or a non-church person, is we want a closer relationship with God. We just do. We do. All the studies affirm that over and over again. And the only way for that to happen is for us to deal with this thing that is called sin and shame. 
And what happens is, is until we confess it, we feel the stress from it. And until we name it, we don't break the cycle of it. That's why she says in her writing, why the Bible says it way back long ago, when you name it, you break that cycle. We get out of that addictive cycle because all that shame leads to addiction. And Americans, we have so many addictions. And so she says, you got to confess it. You got to say it. So If your relationship is broken with God this morning, I want to encourage you. Say it to God. He'll never leave you. He'll never embarrass you. He'll never walk away from you. He'll never forsake you. Confess it to God. There's nothing. We're getting ready to have communion in a moment. And what communion is all about is God saying, if the horrors of the cross could not cause me to turn my back on you, what could you possibly do to make me turn my back on you? That's how much I love you. So much I love you. If you have a broken relationship with a person, I would encourage you as best you can Make it right, because until you do, all that tension is with you. All right, the music team, I'm going to ask them if they would come up. I'm going to ask those helping us to serve communion if you would come and just begin to serve uh, right away. And then I'm, as they do, I'm going to explain the logistics. Look, there's no pressure for you to take communion. If this is your first time or your fifth time or your tenth time, and like I've never seen communion done here before, okay. Let me tell you real quick, real quick. There's no pressure to take communion. No one's going to look at you and say, oh, my gosh, that person didn't take communion. No, we don't. It's whatever. Okay, but I do want to say communion here is open to everybody. It's very serious. It's a serious moment because we're thinking about the tremendous love of God. Love is always measured by sacrifice, always measured by sacrifice. And so it's a serious moment because of that, of what Christ. So we, I encourage you to think about that. So here and over at West Falls Church, uh, the team is going to have the cup and the bread for you. I'm just going to ask that we would hold it and we're going to take it together. And now I'm going to tell West Falls Church, go ahead. I know you're going to do communion. You're going to do it your own way over there. So go ahead and do that. Pastor Derek's going to lead you in that. But here, we're just going to begin to pass it to you. And if you will hold the bread and hold the cup, we're all going to take it together after I say a prayer. And the music team's going to lead us in some song. We're told on the night that Christ was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. So this is my body. He took the cup and said, this is my life. This is my blood. Uh, for you. And all that is to say that Christ was willing to make a huge sacrifice because he loves us so much. And I want to encourage you again as we take this communion in just a moment to remember that there's nothing that you could ever do that Christ would turn his back on you, that he loves you that much. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for your phenomenal, hard-to-understand love that you have for us, that we can trust you fully. We can cast everything that we've ever done, all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our anxieties upon you. God, you will still love us back. Bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup to your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Let us eat and drink together. team a couple weeks ago in preparation for today, if they would pray specifically about the anxiety levels that either one of us has or somebody that we know is close to us has. So they're going to be on this wall. They've been praying for the last two weeks about this. I'd encourage you to to seek some help from them. Okay. All right. Uh, Brian, is Brian here? He's not here. Okay. Then I'm ending. He is here. There he is. I am here. Sorry, I was looking the wrong way. Surprise. I'm out.